section two of invention and discovery by anonymous this librivox recording is in the public domain childhood of cuvier cuvier like sir isaac newton was born with such a feeble and sickly constitution that he was scarcely expected to reach the years of manhood his affectionate mother watched over his varying health instilled into his mind the first lessons of religion and had taught him to read fluently before he had completed his fourth year she made him repeat to her his latin lessons though ignorant herself of the language she conducted him every morning to school made him practise drawing under her own superintendence and supplied him with the best works of history and literature his father had destined him for the army in the library of the gymnasium where he stood at the head of the classes of history geography and mathematics he lighted upon a copy of gesner's history of animals and serpents with coloured plates and about the same time he had discovered a complete copy of buffon among the books of one of his relatives his taste for natural history now became a passion he copied the figures which these works contained and coloured them in conformity with the descriptions whilst he did not overlook the intellectual beauties of his author in the fourteenth year of his age he was appointed president of a society of his schoolfellows which he was the means of organising and of which he drew up the rules and seated on the foot of his bed which was the president's chair he first showed his oratorical powers in the discussion of various questions suggested by the reading of books of natural history and travels which was the principal object of the society when at the age of nineteen the casual dissection of a colmar a species of cuttlefish induced cuvier to study the anatomy of the mollusca and the examination of some fossil terebratulae which had been dug up near fecamp in june seventeen ninety one suggested to him the idea of comparing fossil with living animals and thus as he himself said quote, the germ of his two most important labours the comparison of fossil with living species and the reform of the classification of the animal kingdom had their origin in this epoch watt's discovery of the composition of water a controversy a good many years ago agitated the philosophical world as to the discovery of the composition of water whether the merit was due to watt or cavendish one of watt's letters dated may fifteenth seventeen eighty four seems to compress the matter into a nutshell writing to his friend mr fry of bristol mr watt says that quote, he has had the honour of having had his ideas pirated end quote. that dr blagden explained his theory to lavoisier at paris that m lavoisier soon after invented it himself and that quote, since that mr cavendish has read a paper to the royal society on the same idea without making the least mention of me the one he continues is a french financier and the other a member of the illustrious house of cavendish worth above a hundred thousand pounds and does not spend a thousand pounds a year rich men may do mean actions may you and i always persevere in our integrity and despise such doings 
another important point is that watt and cavendish's papers on the discovery were printed under the sole superintendence of dr blagden secretary to the royal society that mr watt's paper is printed with the erroneous date of seventeen eighty four in place of seventeen eighty three and that the separate copies of mr cavendish's papers have the erroneous date of seventeen eighty three in place of seventeen eighty four the obvious effect of these two errors was to give cavendish the priority over watt whereas by written testimony watt's theory is proved to have been known to priestley in seventeen eighty two it is dr blagden's conduct in the matter that has disturbed the current of scientific history Quote, it is his testimony says an able writer in the north british review not appealed to by cavendish but gratuitously offered by himself that contains the allegation that cavendish mentioned to him and others his conclusions it is his testimony gratuitously sent to Krell, that deprives the french chemists lavoisier laplace and mange of their due share of honour and it was by his acts that erroneous dates and claims were propagated throughout europe let us impanel then a british jury not of chemists for their verdict is given not of the improvers or manufacturers of steam-engines for they might be partial but of the highest functionaries of the law the members of the peerage let us lay before them these facts and then tell them that blagden received an annuity of five hundred pounds from cavendish that at his death he left him a legacy of fifteen thousand pounds and we will answer for it that the testimony of blagden will be rejected and the priority of watt affirmed how pascal weighed the atmosphere pascal's treatise on the weight of the whole mass of air forms the basis of the modern science of pneumatics in order to prove that the mass of air presses by its weight on all the bodies which it surrounds and also that it is elastic and compressible he carried a balloon half filled with air to the top of the puy de dome a mountain about five hundred toises above clermont in auvergne it gradually inflated itself as it ascended and when it reached the summit it was quite full and swollen as if fresh air had been blown into it or what is the same thing it swelled in proportion as the weight of the column of air which pressed upon it was diminished when again brought down it became more and more flaccid and when it reached the bottom it resumed its original condition in the nine chapters of which the treatise consists pascal shows that all the phenomena and effects hitherto ascribed to the horror of a vacuum arise from the weight of the mass of air and after explaining the variable pressure of the atmosphere in different localities and in its different states and the rise of water in pumps he calculates that the whole mass of air around our globe weighs eight billion nine hundred eighty three million eight hundred eighty nine thousand four hundred and forty times ten to the ninth french pounds the leaning tower of pisa sir john leslie used to attribute the stability of this tower to the cohesion of the mortar it is built with being sufficient to maintain it erect in spite of its being out of the condition required by physics 
to wit that quote, in order that a column shall stand a perpendicular let fall from the centre of gravity must fall within the base sir john describes the column of pisa to be in violation of this principle but according to designs shown to dr cumming at pisa in eighteen thirty six the perpendicular does not fall within the base when at pisa many years since captain basil hall investigated the origin and divergence of the tower from the perpendicular and established completely to his own satisfaction that it had been built from top to bottom originally just as it now stands his reasons for thinking so are that the line of the tower on that side towards which it leans has not the same curvature as the line on the opposite or what may be called the upper side if the tower had been built upright and then been made to incline over the line of the wall on that side towards which the inclination was given would be more or less concave in that direction owing to the nodding or swagging over of the top by the simple action of gravity acting on a very tall mass of masonry which is more or less elastic when placed in a sloping position but the contrary is the fact for the line of wall on the side towards which the tower leans is decidedly more convex than the opposite side captain hall has therefore no doubt whatever that the architect in rearing his successive courses of stone gained or stole a little at each layer so as to render his work less and less overhanging as he went up and thus without betraying what he was about really gained stability holding a cross court dr edmonston in his interesting view of the shetland islands relates that the hooded crow sometimes engages in merry meetings but savage-like concludes by a sanguinary sacrifice the crows generally appear in pairs even during winter except when attracted to a spot in search of food or when they assemble for the purpose of holding what is called a cross court this latter institution exhibits a curious fact in their history numbers are seen to assemble on a particular hill or field from many different parts on some occasions the meeting does not appear complete before the expiration of a day or two as soon as all the deputies have arrived a very general noise and croaking ensue and shortly after the whole fall upon one or two individuals whom they persecute and beat until they kill them when this has been accomplished they quietly disperse alpine perils strange incidents befell professor forbes and his companions in their travels through the alps of savoy on one occasion they got so near a thundercloud as to be highly electrified by induction with all the angular stones round them hissing like points near a powerful electric machine on another whilst crossing one of the loftiest passes the col de cologne they discovered a dark object lying on the snow which proved to be the body of a man with the clothes hard frozen and uninjured Quote, the effect on us all says the professor was electric and had not the sun shone forth in its full glory and the very wilderness of eternal snow seemed gladdened under the serenity of such a summer's day as is rare at these heights we should certainly have felt a deeper thrill arising from the sense of personal danger 
as it was when we had recovered our first surprise and interchanged our expression of sympathy for the poor traveller and gazed with awe on the disfigured relics of one who had so lately been in the same plight with ourselves we turned and surveyed with a stronger sense of sublimity than before the desolation by which we were surrounded and became still more sensible of our isolation from human dwellings human help and human sympathy our loneliness with nature and as it were the more immediate presence of god philosophical enthusiasm quote, never shall i forget says agassiz the impression which the sight of the terrasics provided with appendages resembling wings produced upon me when i assured myself that it belonged to the class of fishes it was an entirely new type which was about to figure for the first time since it had ceased to exist in the series of beings again to form a link which nothing of all that had been revealed up to the time with regard to extinct creations would have led us ever to suspect the existence of showing forcibly that observation alone can lead us to the recognition of the laws of development of organized beings and how much we should guard against all those systems of transformation of species which the imagination invents with as much facility as reason refutes them shepherd to the king of england for scotland lalande the celebrated astronomer committed a ludicrous mistake in styling james ferguson berger du roi d'angleterre en Ecosse, the king of england's shepherd for scotland the matter has however been thus explained daubenton as a naturalist had the charge of the royal flocks of sheep in france in order to retain his situation under the republic he required a certificate of civism from the section of the saint coulot in this curious document he is called the shepherd d'aubenton lalande whose great work on astronomy was published at this period had seen james ferguson the astronomer designated the shepherd probably to distinguish him from adam ferguson the philosopher and hence he placed ferguson the shepherd in the same category with the shepherd d'aubenton and made him shepherd to the king of england for scotland travels of volcanic dust on the second of september eighteen forty five a quantity of volcanic dust fell in the orkney islands which was supposed to have originated in an eruption of hecla in iceland it was subsequently ascertained that an eruption of hecla took place on the morning of the above-named day so as to leave no doubt of the justness of the conclusion the dust had thus travelled about six hundred miles early life of alexander brongniart this celebrated chemist and mineralogist upwards of forty years director of the porcelain manufactory of sevres was born at paris in seventeen seventy his father was justly celebrated for his attainments in the fine arts his mind developed itself in the midst of that brilliant society belonging to the end of the eighteenth century which his father was accustomed to draw around him he there derived from conversations with franklin the germ of that mild and practical philosophy which he never abandoned and from those of lavoisier his earliest notions of chemistry which formed one of the foundations of his scientific career 
he gave early indications of that clearness of elocution which formed one of his merits as a professor and it is related that lavoisier himself took pleasure in listening to a lecture on chemistry delivered by brognard even when he was scarcely fifteen years of age he studied at the ecole de médecine where he was thrice enrolled and when every frenchman was called to the frontier he was connected to the army of the pyrenees in the capacity of an apothecary a stay of fifteen months among these mountains gave him the opportunity of studying a rich and varied field of nature as a zoologist and botanist he likewise made geological observations which at a later period took their place in the science and which he often took pleasure in recalling but there he encountered dangers which his youth did not suspect and he was imprisoned under suspicion of having favoured the escape of the skilful naturalist broussonnier who avoided certain death by fleeing by the breach of roland restored to liberty after the ninth thermidor brognard returned to paris and in eighteen hundred was nominated director of the porcelain manufactory of sevres on the recommendation of berthollet at nineteen years of age brognard was one of the founders of the société philomatique which at the period of proscription for all of a higher class kept alive the sacred fame of science he died in eighteen forty seven and at his funeral on october ninth m elie de beaumont delivered an eloge whence these details have been derived smeton's reproof of gaming smeton the engineer was on intimate terms of acquaintance with the duke and duchess of queensbury and often spent a leisure hour in the evening at their house on a few occasions he played at cards with them and on one such evening he affected the abolition of that inconsiderate indiscriminate play amongst people of superior rank or fortune which compels every one to join and at their own stake too smeton detested cards and his attention never following the game he played like a boy the game was pope joan and the general run of it was high and the stake in pope had accumulated to a serious sum it was smeton's turn by the deal to double it when regardless of his cards he busily made minutes on a slip of paper and put it on the board the duchess eagerly inquired what it was and he as coolly replied quote, your grace will recollect the field in which my house stands may be about five acres three roods and seven perches which at thirty years purchase will be just my stake and if your grace will make a duke of me i presume the winner will not dislike my mortgage End quote. the joke and the lesson had alike their weight and the party never after played but for the merest trifle invention of gun cotton cotton having largely contributed to our national prosperity in times of peace promised not long since to play a very important part in the strategies of war and this by its use in place of gunpowder wherefore the new substance was termed gun cotton the merit of the invention is believed to be due to professor schonbein of basel in eighteen forty the novelty was first announced as an explosive compound possessing many apparent advantages over gunpowder it was described as a cotton prepared by a secret process 
which on the application of a spark became at once converted into a gaseous state in an experiment performed in the laboratory of professor schonbein a certain weight of gunpowder when fired filled the apartment with smoke whilst an equal weight of gun cotton exploded without producing any smoke leaving only a few atoms of carbonaceous matter behind cannon-balls and shells were then experimentally projected by this prepared cotton which nearly doubled the projectile force of gunpowder professor schonbein made an interesting experiment upon the wall of an old castle it had been calculated that from three to four pounds of gunpowder would be requisite to destroy this wall and a hole capable of containing that quantity was prepared in this aperture were put four ounces of the prepared cotton which when fired blew the massive wall to pieces again the sixteenth part of an ounce of the prepared cotton placed in a gun carried a ball with such force that it perforated two planks at the distance of twenty-eight paces and at another time with the same charge drove a bullet into a wall to the depth of three inches and three-quarters professor schonbein attended the meeting of the british association for the advancement of science held at southampton in eighteen forty six when the operation of this new powder was explained and experimented with subsequently the professor attended at osborne house to exhibit the properties of his gun cotton to prince albert when schonbein offered to explode a portion on the hand of colonel b who would however have nothing to do with the novel power prince albert himself submitted to the test and off went the cotton without smoke stain or burning of the skin thus encouraged the colonel took his turn but whether the material was changed or not for the coarser preparation it gave him such a singeing that he leaped up with a cry of pain a hearty laugh was all the commiseration he received after this professor schonbein loaded a fowling-piece with cotton in the place of gunpowder and the prince fired both ball and shot from it with the usual effect and perfect impunity sir joseph banks's balance at the death of sir joseph banks there was left at the apartments of the royal society at somerset house a very delicate balance constructed by ramsden the property of sir joseph the secretaries accordingly wrote to his widow requesting to know her wishes respecting the instrument Quote, pay it into cootses was her ladyship's reply buckingham palace gates the central gates of the marble arch facing buckingham palace were put up in the summer of eighteen thirty seven they were designed and cast by samuel parker then of argyle place they are the largest and most superb in europe not excepting the gates of the ducal palace at venice or of the louvre at paris their material is a beautiful alloy the base of which is refined copper although cast their enriched foliage and scroll-work bear the elaborate finish of the finest chasing the height of each gate is twenty-five feet width seventeen feet six inches extreme thickness three inches weight of each two tons thirteen hundred weight yet they are so beautifully hung that a child might open and shut them they now terminate at the springing of the arch but mr parker had cast for the heading a chaste frieze and a design of the royal arms in the central circle flanked by state crowns 
this portion was however irretrievably mutilated by the government removing the gates from the foundry in a common stage wagon without due care to prevent their breakage yet the work cost altogether three thousand guineas earthquakes in chile mr darwin in his very interesting journal of a voyage around the world relates that he was one day dining with a gentleman at coquimbo when a sharp earthquake happened he heard the forthcoming rumble but from the screams of the ladies the running of servants and the rush of several of the gentlemen to the doorway he could not distinguish the motion some of the women afterwards were crying with terror and one gentleman said he could not be able to sleep at night or if he did it would only be to dream of falling houses the father of this person had lately lost all his property at talcahuano and he himself had only just escaped a falling roof at valparaiso in eighteen twenty two he mentioned a curious coincidence which then happened he was playing at cards when a german one of the party got up and said he would never sit in a room in these countries with the door shut as owing to his having done so he had nearly lost his life at Copaco. accordingly he opened the door and no sooner had he done this than he cried out here it comes again and the famous shock commenced the whole party escaped the danger in an earthquake is not from the time lost in opening a door but from the chance of its becoming jammed by the movement of the walls cuvier in london when cuvier visited england in eighteen eighteen in conversing with the prince regent on the subject of our natural history collections he suggested the union of all the private collections in one great national museum which from the extent of our colonial possessions he conceived would surpass every other collection in europe during the great naturalist's stay in london he was gratified with the sight of a westminster election in which he saw the practical working of one of our most important political institutions Quote, at this period says his biographer mrs lee the election for westminster was going forward and he frequently dwelt upon the amusement he had received from being on the hustings every day these orgies of liberty were then unknown in france and it was a curious spectacle for a man who reflected so deeply on everything which passed before him to see and hear our orators crying out at the top of their voices to the mob who pelted them with mud cabbages eggs and so forth and sir murray maxwell in his splendid uniform and decorated with orders flattering the crowd who resisted him and sent at his head all the varieties of the vegetable kingdom nothing ever effaced this impression from cuvier's memory who frequently described the scene with great animation the first cup of tea drunk in england in all probability the first cup of tea made in england was drunk upon the site of buckingham palace st james's park for the earl of arlington took the first pound of tea to england having bought it in holland for sixty shillings and at this time the earl resided at arlington house which was taken down to make room for buckingham house since altered to the queen's palace benefit of a wife to an author the wife of nathaniel bowditch was a woman of singular sweetness of disposition and cheerful piety
who by her entire sympathy with her husband in all his studies and pursuits lightened and cheered his labours and by relieving him from all domestic cares enabled him to go on with undivided mind and undistracted attention in the execution of his great work the translation of laplace's mecanique celeste in which his fame as a man of science rests he had been heard to say that he never should have accomplished the task and published the book in its present extended form had he not been stimulated and encouraged by her when the serious question was under consideration as to the expediency of bowditch's publishing it at his own expense at the estimated cost of ten thousand dollars which it actually exceeded with the noble spirit of her sex his wife conjured and urged him to go on and do it saying that she would find the means and gladly make any sacrifice and submit to any self-denial that might be involved in it in grateful acknowledgment of her sympathy and aid he proposed in the concluding volume to dedicate the work to her memory she died in eighteen thirty four a design than which nothing could be more beautiful or touching in the course of his labour dr bowditch used to say quote, i never come across one of laplace's those it plainly appears without feeling sure that i have got hours of hard study before me to fill up the chasm and find out and show how it plainly appears End quote. it is highly honourable to the sex that the only exposition of laplace's work that has eighteen forty eight appeared in england is from the pen of a female the accomplished mary somerville wife of dr somerville of chelsea hospital this was published under the title of the mechanism of the heavens of which it is observed in the edinburgh review quote, this unquestionably is one of the most remarkable works that female intellect ever produced in any age or country and with respect to the present day we hazard little in saying that mrs somerville is the only individual of her sex in the world who could have written it for this signal service to science there was conferred upon the lady a pension of three hundred pounds per annum at the recommendation of sir robert peel end of section two